Gaming on the Frontier. This is Bruce. This is Trav. And John's not with us. Welcome to Gaming on the Frontier, your gaming podcast where I'm sending the message to you. My mind to your mind. My thoughts to your thoughts. Shouldn't be thinking like that. You're a church going man. (laughs) (laughs) Ooh. You dug too deep. (laughs) (laughs) Trav and I are continuing our talk, actually, adventuring on a truly advanced planet or culture. All right, so let's move on to our uh, our last major grouping. And, and some of these things could fit into other things. I tried to put them into things I thought were their most, their biggest impact, you know, when we talk about them. So, yeah, I mean, I know that you know, what we're talking about here is, you know, is, is going to cover more than one thing. So, number one. Okay, the third one is unlimited energy. So the first one, solar level unlimited energy, you know, for whatever you want. And when I say solar level, I mean you've got the energy that comes out of a sun. Whatever that is, you know, I mean, however many joules that is, whatever they, I'm sure there's an estimate for the number of joules. And you have that to use any way you want to. And it may not be coming from a sun. It may be coming from zero-point energy modules. It may be coming from another universe where the difference in energies between the two universes. What Tritech used to refer to as where the power for magic came from. It came from another universe where there was more energy and you contr- magic just basically made the, the, bo- the, the boundary permeable and the energy flowed in and then they could use it to make whatever do whatever they wanted to with the magic. Um, a third one, which I've listed here, is fusion casting. Uh, this is cribbed from uh, the the uh, uh, rude uh, comic book um, uh, 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 Nexus, where he was this guy who had this enormous amount of energy that he could like fire beams out of his hands, or he was almost indestructible because he just had personal shields and he could fly faster than the speed of light because. He had all this energy, and and it turned out that it was basically this one alien who had he was using him to do the things that the alien wanted him to do, um, not by controlling his mind directly, but by giving him these horrendous. He he was basically looking for justice. This alien did not. He saw people doing terrible things and never being accountable to them, and so he gave these horrible dreams to the main character in Nexus. Uh, and, and, and literally, if he did not, and he understood that if he did not get rid of this guy, then he was going to go mad from these horrible, horrible dreams he kept having. And so, but he had the power. So, somehow he had the power, and so he would fly over to the planet, and he would like blow through, you know, into the castle and just disintegrate this guy, you know, and he would be gone. And, uh, you know, with in this particular case, he he would have a lot of there would be collateral damage because you know he blow things up because he had all this energy being funneled to him by this other alien who was funneling it from a star uh, or a whole collection of stars, uh, and it was called fusion casting in that bigger comic. If, if that kind of energy is available to you, uh, uh, let's say a, a regular citizen, or even just a, a single planet having the ability to capture all of the energy from their star, then we're talking about energy on a level that, that we that makes almost every concept of scarcity stupid. Yeah, because we have the perfect example. In Fringeworthy, we are told that the a fringe platform is powered by three neutron stars in a black hole. So I would think that you mean a, that's a portal. Oh, the portal is. Oh, oh. 
oh, that that is a lot of power than to run a whole platform because that and that's only one. That's twelve platforms. So that yeah. Well, we're talking about twelve portals on a platform. Yeah. yeah. But still, that is for one fringe portal in order to breach a dimensional wall from fringe space onto a material plane, a universe with an Earth. Yeah, you need that much power to, you know, to form a wormhole that will go from fringe space to there. Three neutron, uh, yeah, three neutron stars and a black hole, and and, and a dwarf star is actually. Oh, okay, all right. It's close enough. Neutron stars are one step away from being black holes. Uh, <laughs> and I'm trying to, and and I've heard zero point energy, but I forgot the definition. It's the idea that's that energy is just constantly bubbling out into space, just being generated, you know, inside our by inside our time space continuum. And so, if you have the ability to capture this energy that's coming out of space, then you could literally seemingly have energy from nowhere. You know, the, the, the perpetual motion machines. I mean, you know, star drives that don't require any fuel. So you know, or the the spontaneous creation of antimatter. Uh, it, it's been used in a number of stories, and of course, it was used highly, you know, in uh, Stargate. Yeah, the television show. Um, that would be opposed to, and I've heard of the concept of dark matter. Yeah, what would I mean, I've heard of that? I'm trying to remember what that is too. Nobody really knows. <laughs> It's like, you know, there, there, it's dark matter as far as I understand it. And, of course, I, I'm sure I'm, someone's out there saying, you don't know what you're talking about. It's essentially trying to, you know, make the universe make sense. And they said, well, there's got to be more matter in the universe than there is, and we can't see it. So it's got to be dark matter, as in it's invisible. Okay. We can't see it, but it still exists. It, it doesn't actually get affected by gravity or doesn't get sucked into black holes. It's just there, but it's, you know, and it, and it makes our math work when we, uh, we add that into the equations. I, I got the Google definition here. In some cosmological theories, non-luminous material that is postulated to exist in space and that could take any of several forms, including weakly, weakly interacting particles or high-energy randomly moving particles created soon after the Big Bang each known as cold and hot dark matter, respectively. So. But there's a lot of it. I mean, they're saying most of the universe is actually dark matter. Yeah, okay. okay. So everything you look around and you see, oh, this, you know, it's like, no, there's actually a whole lot that you can't even see. And when they say non-luminous, I mean, they're also saying you can't pick it up on infrared or x-ray or any of those things. It is of a, it is of a wavelength that is either outside of the... Um, EM spectrum, or it is something as of yet unquantifiable. Well, it's something we can't measure. Yeah. So it could be so far up in the in, in the cosmic radiation level that we just can't measure it. It just punches through anything that would that would try to record it, you know, before it can actually react. Or it's so low level and, uh, that we can't even pick it up on our, you know, you know, the things that we're using to to try to look at the Big Bang, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, nobody really knows. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, the point is, is that it's a tremendous amount of energy that people can use to do whatever they want to. So what would be like some uses for so that that kind of energy? Well, we've already said breaching dimensional barriers, okay. time travel, mm -hmm. um, Things that would affect a whole planet, such as the instrumentality, technology, and mechanical learning, where you, the the tapping into the collective unconscious of all living things. In order to do that, you would need massive amounts of energy to harness in order to be able to reach your mind through time and pick this piece of information from 500 years before. How about major terraforming? Oh, yeah, definitely, like the Genesis device, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, or even, like, you know, deciding you want your continent to be a couple of feet higher or lower? Oh, yeah, yeah, that would definitely take a lot of, <laughs> that would definitely take a lot of man hours, yeah. Um, or if you want to change the, uh, if you want to change the period of your rotation of your planet? 
Oh God, yeah. Or if you just want to move it around in the in the solar system, hey, you know, we're, we've decided that we want to go over and take a better look at uh, Jupiter. So we're going to fly the Earth over to Jupiter. It's going to take oh, a you know, a couple of months. But you by springtime, you should you should see Jupiter as the you know the bigger than the sun in the sky. And uh, at, the, at the same time, they're keeping the planet warm and you know, you know, sunlight's being generated down you know, onto the planet so the crops keep growing, assuming that you even even grow crops. I mean, I'm just saying that level of, of doing stuff, you know, you, you, you know, let's, let's play ping pong with, with you know, with, with, with our, you know, let's, let's grab a couple more, uh, uh, you know, uh, moons and just add them to our orbit. You know, we're, we're cool with that. I mean, it's really big type projects. You know that you wouldn't think even possible to do, and it's like, yeah, it's you know, it's a little complicated. We we have to you know be careful how we do it, but yeah, it's doable. We're gonna get it done, and everyone's gonna have a good time. So yay us. Yeah, another another good example to hit with modern pop culture as far as these methods of unlimited energy, the Infinity Stones, the that basically concentrated nodes of energy that can do massive because look at all the stuff and as of this taping it is late august infinity war came out in late april it's four months spoiler alerts done thanos threw a moon at tony stark he grabbed the moon from his planet titan and rained it down that would be something you would need to take that much energy to be able to move an astronomical body and bring it down in pieces through an atmosphere of a planet. You would need love that type of solar level unlimited energy to be able to do that. Well, basically a lot of the stuff that Thanos did, bridging interstellar distances. And then of course, and you capitalize both words, the snap to eradicate half of all sentient life in the universe you would need something of that level of power to just okay you're now black ash you're done i i think it'd be a far beyond solar level but go on well still things of that level like zero point energy or dimensional gradient that level just to to give people a current context because this is so much in the consciousness these movies so and each of them one of them would be able to do that type of level of stuff i mean granted various facets you know you had time mind soul power you know it might take this level of energy to be able to provide all these things like you know universal telepathy or or you know creation of matter from energy without noticeable collateral effects it might take you know like a million times more energy to control the environment to the point where you could create that one little item so that it did not suddenly just fry the entire planet when you create it yeah you know, yeah so it might take a you know because you know when you think about all you know the, the the factory where one small item gets manufactured you know, it's a lot of space and a lot of stuff goes into getting that one object done. Now, there might they might make a million of them, and that's, that makes it efficient. But I'm just saying is, is that, you know, a lot of times it takes a lot of energy just to get something done. So this is one way of, of handling that. It also might be necessary to do such things as time travel. Assuming that we're not actually trying to travel faster than the speed of light, one of the theories I had one time, which is completely not based on any scientific theory, was that maybe um, in order to go to travel in time, you have to basically create negative time, and 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 so maybe what in order to do that, for every period of time you want to you know uh, you want to say. You know, uh, for something to move in time, you have to basically spend an uh, uh, equal, uh, amount of energy equal to the, the you know the uh, the mass times you know e e squared. 
you know, E equals MC squared. So every second, basically, you're at, you have to add that energy in in order to move backwards in time. So in order to travel, you know, years back in time, we're talking about, you know, whatever the total amount of energy of a human body is multiplied, let's say, one every second, wherever that is. That's the amount of energy it would take to move you backwards in time, you know, by essentially creating negative time, you know, elements to 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 allow you to do that and then of course once once you get there then you start moving forward again because you're no longer creating that negative aspect so normally things go forward in time so you're you're basically it's the energy it takes to move against the current you're literally destroying the energy you know the current behind you creating a vacuum that allows you to go backwards so if you it would take this level of energy if that was so in order to do it Okay. And I even used it in one of my Bureau 13 adventures where they, you know, they said, well, we have this one device that we got, you know, from an alternate dimension. And, uh, and they said, you know, well, great. You know, it says, there's only one problem. We have nothing to power it with. And they're like, what do you mean? It says, well, we have to like plug it into the sun to make it work. It takes that level of energy. And they're like, and, and at the time, they were basically fighting against somebody who was of God-level power, and everybody in the team says, we think we know what to do. <laughs> and, the, and the adventure proceeded, you know, so, and they were able to save the day. And, and so, yes, literally, the, the person who was there was so powerful, they were the instrument of their own demise as a result. But it took that level of power to be able to do that kind of time travel. You know, now, other time travels is literally a matter of just wishing you were back there and you are. Or, or maybe yeah. it's, it's, it takes, you know, as you say, a wormhole to punch outside the time-space continuum and then loop back in at some other point and it's fine. Or, you know, or, or in, the, in the case of some game systems, you know, the easiest way to time travel is just to go to another universe where time started later. And so it just seems like you've gone back in time, but it's really just a mirror of your universe at an earlier stage that's coexisted at the same time rate, you know, just through using some artifice. So, yeah. But the, the point is that's, you know, time travel, I always thought, might need that kind of level of power. Now... Of course, yeah. in movies, they're never going to do that because they don't have it. So instead, they figure out some other way of doing it, you know, they, whatever. But, uh, you know, I always thought that that would be like one of those super science things where, you know, we, you know we're now in the far-flung future and they have to, and they have this kind of instrumentality and they use it to send people back. But, of course, they, in order to do that, they put their son out or something, you know. Well, that would be like the video earn of that the role-playing game Fading Suns, where it was the far future and you had these ju this jump gate network. Well, after a while, these some of these gates died out, and so these worlds regressed. So you had these worlds that were explored by far future humans, but then regressed to like a medieval level society or even lower. The whole reason why the game was called Fading Suns is because stars were starting to go out and it was realizing that as these jump gates were coming back online, oh, we're exploring and found this lost Earth colony. Yeah, these jump gates are coming back online, but they're also now finding out, wait a minute, there were like three stars over there on that part of the horizon. Oh, crap. So yeah, it's because those jump gates are being powered most likely by they tapped into the force of a star to breach hundreds of light years in a, in a jump. I mean, to do really big things takes a lot of energy. Conservation doesn't always cut it. Yeah. All right, so let's go ahead and move on to number two. True immortality, eternal and immortal. So do you know the difference between the two? One of them, I would think, has to do with you no longer age. You get to a certain point and you stay at that age. Let's say you get to the age of physical maturity, let's say 20, and you look like right. a 20-year-old for the rest of your life. Right. That's eternal, where basically you're unchanging. Immortal just means you don't die. Yeah. And, and that could take a number of different forms. It could be... 
you know, you make a clone, you do a brain dump to it, you keep on going, or you rebuild your body, you know, younger, older, and just, you know, continue on, or uh, it, it usually doesn't mean, I mean, in the magical sense, if you go to fantasy, you know, immortal usually means I can't be hurt, or if I hurt, I instantaneously heal. I mean, that's that kind of immortal, but for, yeah. for people who stay the same age forever, and if they, you know, and, and and yes, if they do get injured, they they restore back to they were, you know, at at that point, they are eternal. Okay. So being truly immortal or truly eternal, that's a super that takes an unlimited amount of energy. We think of it in in, in simple terms, like saying, yeah, okay, we're gonna do a a whatever a brain you know, a brain transfer or whatever. That's that's our present day thinking. That's the way we think, okay? But when we think about myth, you know, like the, the Greek gods or in the Roman gods or any of the gods, any of the gods, okay? They don't have to do that stuff. They just exist forever. So somewhere in there, Okay, either they are hooked into the universe and the universe is making them stay that that way, or they just have some kind of, you know, as you as I say, zero point energy, you know, regeneration thing going on that no matter what happens, they're always going to come back. Yeah, usually they'd be tapping into what you call the dimensional gradient, just what we would call manner or whatever, where they just, it, it locks them in the form where they look young for eternity. Um, there was, and it it's, I just found this on YouTube recently, you know, all the Star Trek fan films and whatnot that come out. Well, there was one, it's called Star Trek Continues. It's of the original series. And it's funny because it has Chris Dewin playing his father's role of Scotty, and Grant Imahara, formerly of Mythbusters, is playing Sulu. Anyways, the first episode I saw, and it is the first episode of the series, called Pilgrim of Eternity. Now, if you remember the original series episode with Apollo, the god on the planet they were looking for humans to worship. Right. This episode was apparently... Let's see, I'm trying to remember the, the exact... Okay, the Enterprise, you know, Kirk, Spock, and Ruth come upon... They, they get knowledge that these space stations and whatnot are starting to lose energy and they just die out. Well, they go out there, they find this green sort of vehicle, asteroid-looking thing, and it starts draining the power of the Enterprise. They fire a shot at it, disable it. They transport two people aboard. It was that Apollo and Artemis, and she ended up dying. And so it was Apollo, but aged, because somehow he no longer had the worship going. He did not tap into that mana, which was directly proportional to the amount of people worshiping him. And the funny thing is, they got the same actor playing it from 40 years ago, so he looked old. Mm -hmm. And I forget the actor's name, but it was that guy who played it back in the original series back in the 60s. But okay. yeah, because he no longer had access to that energy that made him young, which I said again was directly proportional to the amount of number of people worshipping him, he looked like, you know, a 70, 80-year-old man. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that kind of reminded me of how, you know, tapping into what would be known as magic to make yourself look young as a god. So. Right. You know, I mean, they, there's lots of movies and books or whatever where they talk about draining life force, even, you know, and, and that the act of praying or something like that essentially shares your life force with the object that you are praying for. Aren't we, don't we, I mean, even the, the people that are new age, they talk about sending positive energy to people. Yeah. Okay. So if, you know, if that had any basis in reality, then... You know, you have a if you have millions and millions of people believing in you, then yeah, that's a lot of energy. And if somehow your body was able to take that energy and use it to create homeostasis and regeneration, then yeah, you would become 
you know, young and super powerful, you know, to be, you know, you could be, if your body could do it, then certainly your mind could re, you know, manipulate, redistribute that energy as you pleased. So yes, you know, it would take unlimited amount of energy to be able to really, and, and when I say true immortality, I'm talking about not just a couple of people, we're talking about a planet full of people like this. So that's one of the reasons why I have it under unlimited energy. Because, you know, it's, it's fairly easy for us to wrap our minds around a small group of people that can do this. But when you're talking about trillions of people who now are living forever, then, you know, every, and their bodies are constantly being fixed and everything like that. And they, you know, they, they essentially, you know, can exist for millions of years. Then it takes them. It takes a large source of energy that's reliable. So that's why I put it under the unlimited energy. Yeah. You have to have not only unlimited but very reliable as unlimited energy. Yeah, because at first I was thinking about another thing about energy and tapping into it to stay immortal. Uh, the Highlander franchise because you had all that electrical discharge whenever you severed the head of an immortal and then you could absorb it in that made you more powerful yes the prize as it were the final goal right the the quickening yes and it's yeah they, they used that term multiple times in different ways but essentially they were talking about sensing and accessing that that superior life force they actually did a D20, uh, Louis J. Porter Games did a PD, and it was basically Highlander D20. You could sit there and make these immortals, and they said, well, it was either cut off the head or a bullet between the eyes, either way, and it was a node in the, in the brain tissue that basically absorbed and redistributed energy to give you long life, and you could access other memories. So yeah, it would be, again, the dimensional gradient energy. But yeah, it was pretty... Or Gaia, you know, energy of all life on the planet. Yeah. Yeah. That... You know, ley lines, all the other things that people have have postulated. Yeah, sure. I mean, we, we don't know where the energy is coming from, but obviously there's a lot of it. And it's available and it's reliable. And, uh, you know, it's it does amazing things. You know, I mean... People literally are coming back from the dead. They're getting, you know, getting shot, you know, a hundred times, you know, and and then and then a little while later they sit up and they're fine. You know, they have to buy new clothes, but their their skin is without uh, any blemish. You know, all their their blood has been replaced. You know, uh, this they've lost. They, you know, they they didn't lose their brains, their memories, and things like that. Uh, so. Uh, that's uh, that's some amazing amount of energy. That's you know. And I'm, I'm reminded of the scene in Highlander Two where they got riddled with a hundred bullets. <laughs> that's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. just the whole hundred. Oh, those boys must have been shot with a hundred bullets. Right. A hundred and eight. A hundred and twelve myself. You call that a scratch? Look what it did. It ruined my waistcoat. <laughs> yes. Exactly. <laughs> and that that EDF for what I was talking about from Lewis J. Uh, LPJ designs it's called template eternals and so that's the way to role play making somebody who has this immortality a la Highlander I've used it in my own games actually it's pretty fun because you think yeah you you've gunned this person down wait a couple minutes <laughs> there was another system that was called blades that also did the same thing I'm still remembering in that whole scene with those two how the doctor reacted. He's one of my favorite comedians. You boys are, you go dead, and he faints. <laughs> Probably kept them alive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, the, the, but then, like, you know, uh, Ramirez, I think, in that same one, at some point goes and gets his head chopped off intentionally, and he does it to basically blow the top off the building. Yeah, because they have this energy, this all this bioelectric energy which can do things yeah and it, when it discharges before it gets absorbed by another highlander it does a lot of damage to everything around it oh yeah yeah you're seeing like windows shatter and yeah yeah and supposedly the more the older you are the more the more people whose 
whose uh, energy you've collected, the bigger the discharge is going to be. Yeah, in that PDF I mentioned, they called it resonance points because they use that, oh, you can boost skills or buy a feat or whatever because you're tapping into their past energies to make yourself more powerful. Yeah. Well, the way I always looked at it was is that, you know, if you are getting everybody else's abilities, I mean, essentially, you're probably either you're lucky or you're the better sword fighter. Okay. But what they could give you isn't is breath. Uh, breadth, B-R-E-D-T-H, uh, as in, you know, maybe that person knew a different style of sword fighting. You didn't know that right. style, but now you do. Uh, yes. Maybe that person was a better horseman than you were, but now you're as good as that horseman, you know, that person was. So by right, you know, by by doing this, you basically end up as essentially becoming the Superman, the Shad, you know, the Sad Quizak Shadrach, you know, by taking everybody else's abilities and and whatever and becoming the ultimate being, which you then use your powers to hopefully, you know, better better the world or plunge it into an, uh, an era of darkness. Yeah, that's that's what happens when the the prize is finally won in the series. If the wrong person gets it, then it's bad for the world. If it, the right person gets it, then it, it should it should be bringing in a new age of, of enlightenment, a new age of prosperity for all humanity. So, I mean, that's not I, I ultimately that's not why they fight because they they do it because they don't want to die. But I right. think. From the standpoint, if you want to say, why is this happening? What's the reason for it? Well, the reason for it is because of this. When you, you, you basically make one person the repository of all advancement for that entire race, then he can turn around and make some really important decisions and have the power to be able to enforce them and, you know, and, and bring the world into a new era of of life, well, hopefully for the good. Number three, structures supported by anti gravity. Yeah, I'm making a. I was basically trying to have a little bit more fun with the concept, which is where you basically you can, uh, if you have unlimited energy, you can essentially make things like buildings in any shape you want. Floating cities. Well, not only that, but also buildings that are make right angles, and they have like you know whole things that swim around and go in different directions, and you know like um, in Hitchhiker's Guide, they had the the one gigantic statue with his arm outstretched. You know, his arm is hanging out there miles. It's so big a statue. There's no way that it can be supporting itself by any kind of a of a of a bracing, you know, a physical yeah. bracing back to the main body. It just has to be there. So, you know, when Arthur Dent asked how, you know, how what keeps it up there and the answer is art. <laughs> it's artistically right for it to hang up there like that. Oh. <laughs> so and he says, and of course the, the, the creature saying this is a bird. It's actually the humanity evolved into birds and and uh, and now live in the statue. And uh, but they said he says, you learn about things like that when you're a bird. <laughs> when, you're, when you can fly, that sometimes, you know, and that brings in Jonathan Livingston Seagull and everything else you want to do. But what I was trying to say here is is that you're not limited anymore by physical constraints. Of like, well, it has to be balanced, or it has to be supported, you know, by you know, you know, uh, you got to put you got to put a uh, foundation down a third of the way into the into the, in the ground in order to support you know the rest of it above the ground. So you know these 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 um, uh, humongous towers in Dubois, she has to have foundations that go down a lot uh, more than you might think, uh, and if it's not the foundation, they're actually pounding posts down there, you know, that they clamp onto to provide the same thing. Well, with anti-gravity or things like that, you don't need to worry about that. You just, you know, you want to put a, a chunk of, of an arch that goes a couple of miles of that big dome over your city? Hey, no problem. Just do it. Because you have unlimited energy and you can power your anti-gravities day and night and nobody's ever going to worry about it. If one fails, there's 10 to back it up. No problem. Oh, yeah, that's what I meant. And you can make, you know, the floating city type thing where it would help with population. Oh, this world, you know, it had 
Oh, like the example, the Jetsons. You know all those big cities that they had up sure. in the air. And they had them on posts, and they were on those. And the <laughs> you saw how big they were, and they were on those two skinny little poles. Yeah. No, you would need anti grab to keep them from you know. Yeah. To where those two skinny, relatively skinny little poles could hold up that massive building. Right. Yeah. Well, in the Perry Rodan series, after you got a certain size for your spaceships, then when you landed the spaceship, they had to keep the anti-gravity and uh, motors going all the time because if they actually shut them down, the entire ship would just basically embed itself into the planet because it was too heavy for anything to support it. So when they landed, they were really just, you know reducing the energy enough that there was a little bit of pull because <laughs> it weighed a couple of hundred tons so it wouldn't the wind couldn't blow it around but otherwise it was really still in totally in operation keep the engine running what do you mean trust me keep the engine running yes you know that's one thing i always kind of felt like you get like some of those giant robot things you see walking around in anime yeah. and such, I figured, you know, they got to have anti-gravity in there somehow because otherwise they would have to have feet as wide as they were tall just to yeah. be able to not sink into the ground without, of course, it just being, you know, anime magic, which usually they just ignore that sort of thing. But it should be that way, you know. Essentially, they're, you know, the so the, the, the giant robots that fly make much more sense to me than the other ones do. For that reason. But, uh, yeah, so, uh, and, and I'm saying you have a world in which, you know, things like, you know, uh, uh, physical structures are just whatever you want them to be. You know, you can, you, you can literally, you could be walking, you could live inside of a, uh, your house could be a geodesic dome. And, but it isn't like it is in, in our ones where they have levels. No, it's just one hollow thing. You just walk around the inside. Okay, your feet are always sticking, and it just seems like one G, no matter where you are inside the dome. Just you have all that energy for you, and it's negating the actual gravity underneath the uh, underneath the building, and you just have your own gravity inside, and it's and you never have to worry about you know running, you know having somebody drive into a post and and knock out a transformer because the energy is reliable, is infinite, and it's always going to be there, and you can just live your life whichever way you want. Any other ideas, you, things you thought would be really cool to have like that? Anti-grav. No, the thing that that hit me the most was structures support anti And the first thing that came to mind was flying cities, usually to help with population problems. Right, like like they have in the new movie coming out, um, a Battle Angel. Okay. There's a big giant city floating over the slums that the the movie takes place in. Doesn't seem to have any trouble staying up there. Okay. <laughs> and it is a city. Because everybody below is basically collecting its garbage. Oh, okay. And that's what they live off of. They take their garbage from the city. They run it through reclamation. They give stuff back to the city in materials that go up to it. And everybody wants to somehow figure out a way of getting up and living like gods up in the city instead of living like they do down on the planet. And it's it's a rough life down on the planet. It's not it's like it is a slum, and they do have super some forms of super science. But as as you'd expect, because there's a big floating city up there, but the average person basically lives a pretty third world life. Okay. So uh, I can think of another uh, way you would use it. Uh, if you could produce force fields, we, you know, we're, we're actually going to talk about it a little bit next, but if you had um, you know, the ability to create force fields, then you could live on the bottom of the ocean at surface pressure. Yeah. Because you you'd just basically hold up the weight of the ocean around you. I mean, you go around and it'd be like, okay, yes, I know it's tons per square inch versus the 14 pounds per square inch it is up on the surface, but I don't feel it, so it's all cool. And you could live down there, and you live anywhere you want to. That population problem wouldn't be a problem if you did. Or you could do what I did in my one adventure, which was called The Un Un Uplifted World, where they literally said, well, we need more space, so we're going to just raise the entire ocean up five miles. Oh. And it's going to form a layer around the outside of the planet 
and uh, we're going to have all that space underneath, and that's going to be ours. Hmm. Okay. Wow. And they did that. That was, you know, that was that was their shtick. The adventure takes place a couple, like a hundred years later, and things have happened since then. Okay. Things aren't quite as well. Things aren't quite as great as they thought they would be. <laughs> yeah, because for reasons, you know, we don't have to get into it. But I'm just saying is that that's where the story comes in. But yes, okay. they did that, you know, and uh, to, to give themselves more land area rather than trying to, you know, build a orbital, you know, uh, colony, you know, like a ring all the way around the planet or go populate other planets. They said, no, this is our planet. We like it. Okay, we're just going to get rid of the stuff that's using up, you know, three quarters of the planet. You know, the water, you know, the water we can't drink, you know, and stuff. We don't need that here. Okay, we'll just push it up five miles and... You know, maybe they have fleets up there harvesting the the fish out of there. I don't know. The point is, is that they're underneath, and it takes an awful lot of energy that's totally reliable for you to do such a thing. Oh yeah. If you get a hole in that force shield that's holding it all holding it all up, it's not going to be good down below. Oh yo no. So we can go to that force rays. Force rays. Yeah, the classic stuff, right? You know, of, of pulp science fiction. Ah, uh, yes. You know, where you... The radium pistols of Mars and whatnot, yes. Right, I mean, and those were relatively minor uses of it. I mean, they were, they fired, you know, they they, uh, they, they fired, like, beams, and, and uh, they had all the different colored beams, too. You know, each had a different effect. Um, and... Um, I even wrote a, a, an entire adventure that uh, um, a campaign uh, around a world that was like that Mars using different force rays. Um, uh, there were there was the, the the ray of accretion, the ray of destruction, the ray of force, the ray of, of, of heat, and the ray of life, which you know actually would cause people to heal. Um, so, but uh, speaking of force rays, uh, you're your uh, tractor beam. Yeah. How the heck, right? What's what's going on there? <laughs> How does that work? You know, um, I mean, you're creating localized, very local. You're kind of you're contained gravity, basically. I think is the only way of talking about it, where you're pulling something toward, pushing something away is actually a lot easier to believe. But I mean, if you follow anything that they said about solar sails how big those have to be in order to get any kind of an impulse from the sun. Yeah. Okay, being able to just basically fire, aim, aim a, a something at somebody and pull a trigger and it knocks them, you know, kaplooey, well, that's a lot of photons. You know, a lot of photons that hopefully do not turn into heat. Yeah. So, you know, we're talking enormous amounts of energy. I don't, again, that's that whole e, you know, uh, mass equals EMC. So, you know, uh, it's, it's a lot of energy to equal even a, a tiny amount of matter, and it would take that to basically throw somebody away from you. But um, they, they do that in pulp science fiction fairly regularly. Um, but uh, and, but the, the, the tractor beams, to me, are always the ones that seemed really, you know, amazing because... They were so contained. It was like, you know, didn't grab anything else that was around, just that one object, lock on and yank it in. So, yeah. you know, that's, that's, uh, that's, that's your precision beyond present understanding and unlimited amount of energy because it, uh, unless you've got some new level of physics where you can make gravity anytime you want to, you're essentially making a tiny black hole you know, controlled black hole, or at least the the appearance of a black hole, to provide enough energy to yank something, you know, toward you know, you know, basically the 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 the, the mass of a planet that gives us that one g acceleration. Yes. You know, so you're you're doing that outside your ship, and yanking something towards you. So, or that's a lot of energy. And you are pulling the whole ship. You're just not firing at one part of the ship and ripping off that piece, that piece of hull. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, that's one reason why I said you kind of create a point gravity source where it acts like gravity and affects the entire ship. But it also has to be so focused that it doesn't affect any of the debris that might be around the ship. So the, 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 the tractor beam, as, as described in, in Pulp Fiction, would actually work. So, it was, so there's probably some dimensional physics in Aubrey. Yeah. To, you know... Uh, quasi wormhole connection and such you know they do it all the time in uh, uh in the whole uh skylark of space ee doc smith and especially in the lensman series oh my goodness where they at one point they, they the guy the, the 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 main character he's he doesn't just have a force beam he has a force drill okay and what he's doing is he's trying to take this beam of energy and he's drilling through the shields that are around this this bad guy spaceship so that he can expose the actual hull of the ship okay to, to well it would be to space except it's the inside of this drill at which point he then has this like really powerful you know, burning ray that's going to basically blast through and just explode the ship from the inside. And that's that's there's a whole thing there in one of the uh, um, in one of the uh, Lensman books about him doing that. And that's oh, okay. that's really you know that's that we're talking some some classic classic space opera stuff here. You know, uh, and I loved it as a kid. I ate that stuff up. So, you know, if you were able to do that, it would just, just, just doing what he was doing was, was essentially, the whole ship was nothing but a mass of generators. <laughs> the ship was built for no other reason than to, 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 to power this drill so he could do this. Because the way the ships were built in, this, in the series, they had layers. They had the outer, outer shield and secondary, tertiary, and the most powerful shield was the one right, was the whole shield. You know, what uh, in Star Trek they would call, uh, they had a name for it, the whole stabilization, the whole, there was something having to do with the whole sh field, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was something that actually made the whole stronger yeah than, yeah than the just the metal of the ship which is why in the in the original well not the original uh but in the enterprise they just had ships hull plating is what they had they were essentially the equivalent of a battleship you know with just armor on the thing and it would it was ablative it would just blow off when people fired at it later on they had you know, uh, something that actually made the ship really really tough in addition to um, uh, you know, to its normal shields that were around it. Oh yeah, I remember. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, anyways, uh, so that's what they did with that, you know. And uh, so, so if you have force rays, you also have force shields. You got you know all that stuff and and uh, you know time energy bubbles and which is what warp drive is all about. So once you have one of those things then usually, you know, well, at least in literary sense, you would have it. In your game, you would, it would take this enormous amount of energy that was, you know, where literally a spaceship could power a large futuristic city, <laughs> okay? You know, it's, unless, of course, it's, it's, uh, it's ridiculously, you know, simple to make a, a force field. You know, I mean, it, there are ones that do that. Uh, in uh, in pool, I think it was Frederick Pool's undersea fleet series, uh, the main the, the uncle of the main character uh, creates a force field that that makes pressure fight itself. So essentially, uh, the batteries that are in a, 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 a um, you know a, a big three cell battery, a flashlight, is enough to basically protect a ship to any depth. Because the field that's around the ship tricks the pressure into fighting itself, so it's not doesn't need an infinite amount of energy to hold back that pressure. Okay. There was a, a story. I think it was an Asimov story where they were saying is that you know people uh, in we never have to worry 
We think there might be life on Jupiter, but we'll never have to worry about it because the pressure is so heavy down there and the gravity is so high, there's no way that they could ever you know, make a material that allowed them to get outside of their own planet. You know, and he said, you know, we, whenever we go and try to make shields like that around our ships, they only last a couple of seconds and then the, the generators burn out. And then the last scene in the story is this guy who basically has got his generators on flicker. So they just basically just turn off and on, you know, uh, uh, every millisecond. So before they fully collapse, they, get, they, they, they come back into full force and collapse and force. And, they go, and that way, he's got an entire ship that's nothing but a force field. He just, he just replaced all his whole plate with that. He says, wow, wait till they see this. Boy, everyone's going to be so excited at what I discovered. <laughs> and the whole point of the story is, thank goodness we never have to worry about that because it's not possible to do that. Asimov loved stories like that. He did, wrote them all the time or somebody would figure out some way to do something that was impossible. So, but we're talking, you know, but yes, force, force rays require unlimited energy and precision beyond present, uh, you know, understanding, and possibly negates one of the laws of physics as we know them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, right. But um, uh, they're cool. They're really cool. And they're in, uh, they're all over the place in uh, uh, incursion. Oh yeah, the uh, field pass systems. Yeah, well, the, well, also the Ardana new. It's got like a dozen different yeah. rays and force fields and stuff. It's got on it. Yeah, you know, it's it's so good that whenever it takes damage, what it should when it should take damage to the ship, it just routes it into one of the uh, uh, black boxes and explodes them. Oh yeah, yeah. Like oh, what we since so what we lose? Oh, we lost you know toilets. <laughs> Oh, nobody, nobody, nobody can use the sanitary facilities on deck five. Oh man, get us out of here! I gotta go. <laughs> All right, sorry. I hope that didn't offend anybody. All right. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Gaming on the Frontier podcast is wholly owned by its hosts. It is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license. No commercial reproduction and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org colon 8027.